we recognized that we weren't living up to our potential and we were not on a path that we would ever do that. And we were cognizant enough about it that, and, you know, we were, we knew that was something that we needed to do in life. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. Hello, my name is Ryan Deininger. I'm a co-founder and co-editor of The Seasonals with Joey Ravinsky. It is my pleasure today to interview Joey Ravinsky, the man behind the mic here at The Seasonals Podcast. Uh, Joey, how are you doing? I'm doing really well today. Good. Doing uh, great. Yeah. I'm glad you had me to come interview you. I am too. So I, a lot of people in this town I could have chosen, a lot of people, great voices, speak well, all that stuff, but... I think we've proven time and time and again in our relationship. I think you bring the best out of me with writing or anything else. So I wanted it to be you. So I didn't really have to force you either. You're kind of like, okay. Yeah, we usually have to force people to do things for us, like beg yeah. them to write for us. or Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, even if we're paying them $100 an article, we're still not getting any content. So, you know. Yeah, it's been rough at times. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I'm going to lobby a softball to start off with, or maybe it's an in-depth question, but let's go real basic. Um, we are doing The Seasonals podcast. Uh, Joey Ravinsky, what is a seasonal, capital S? Okay. Um, a seasonal. So it's a tough question to answer. Like you said, it might be tough. It is. Um, it's different to everybody. Everybody's got a different story. Their view or perspective of the seasonal lifestyle is different. Um, I had this conversation on the way up here this summer with Brittany and Chloe, and we're going back and forth about what a seasonal is. And, you know, every time we came up with something, we would be able, we were able to poke holes in it. So you have somebody that, you know, travels or for work they do six months here six months there and that's a seasonal well you know you look at it and you go there's you know there's people that do that that really don't fit into that definition so it's like okay well it's people that go to a place where others vacation and they work jobs that you know cater to those people or whatever it's like okay well then this person over here isn't a seasonal and everything we came up with we were able to poke holes into find outliers right yeah and so um what we ended up deciding is that you have to we broke it into two pieces so there's the seasonal mindset and the seasonal lifestyle um the mindset is of a seasonal is usually um one where they like to travel they like to meet new people uh they like to get into a community. They like to meet people that, uh, they're not, or they like to befriend people. They're not paying to be their friends. So you, you go to a place and you work there, but you're also, you know, for the money and the experience, but you're also getting in the community and because you're there for so long, it's almost, 
um, unavoidable. And then, you know, there's people that have a seasonal lifestyle, but don't have that mindset. And then, uh, with the seasonal lifestyle, you have people that travel for work, couple months on, couple months off, all that stuff. And, or, you know, they'll, they'll do sort of the same schedule that maybe, uh, a seasonal will do, but it's, uh, they don't have the mindset. So they're not in it for, um, these, those other things I was talking about and, you know, really the getting into the community or any of the other stuff. And it's, I think <clears throat> when you find someone that has both, that's a true, I don't, I'm, I'm very loose with the label. I really like to be loose with it. Um, because I think, you know, if you want to be a seasonal, yeah, you're seasonal. Like, you know, I want the, the rubric to be really easy to get into. Right. Maybe someone who, uh, has a lifestyle and the mindset maybe becomes capital S seasonal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a, a true seasonal or, you know, maybe they get a gold star or something. Right. Right beside their name. Yeah. Right. Verified. The old asterisk. It's like Masons. Well, you get an asterisk if you don't have those two right. things. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important um, to me as well. I could talk seasonal philosophy all day. Um, but I want to talk about you. And, you know, you've created the Seasonals podcast, the Seasonals magazine, and the Seasonals.com. As well as some failed ventures with the Seasonals brand name. Yeah. Uh, we had Trash Grounds, which actually wasn't that bad. That, no, that's not failing at all. That's taken off. That folks. is our coffee line, by the way. That is going to be your new go-to extremely cheap coffee think breaking bad winnebago but coffee beans instead of ice yeah it's a little bit of a um jason's been roasting it for us and he's finding new spots to roast all the time mostly because uh legally he's being removed from the places he roast before (laughs) why (laughs) well because it smells so bad uh and it smells for a while so but also um you know it's sort of uh We've got a problem with trash grounds. It's, I think it's too good. It's too good of coffee. It's too good of coffee. So we got to find uh, shittier beans. It's almost false advertising to call it trash grounds. Exactly. I think we should actually use it first and then resell. And then I think actually... we should use it in some sort of automotive venture and then resell it. <laughs> it is that powerful. <laughs> Uh, but when I talk about <laughs> failed ventures, I'm talking about, you know, Seasonal's Cola, Seasonal's Lingerie Line. The board game. <laughs> Seasonal's the board game. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That one was a little X-rated, but. <laughs> um, I, do, I do actually want to ask you a serious question because. Um, That's a relief. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to know this. And why have you made it your personal mission to become an ambassador for the seasonal lifestyle? Ooh. Um, why, why is it important to you to spread it instead of keep it to yourself? Right. Uh, that's a good question because I don't – I'm going to answer it, but I don't, I don't think I'm, I am completely satisfied with what I have come to decide is the answer. But I'll still try. So um, obviously it's uh, for the money. We're raking it in. At this point. Um, oh, on the website? <laughs> no. Yeah, we make maybe 100 bucks a month on this. So what it, what it actually is, um, you know, when I grew up with... Uh, How much have we... Yeah, I, we are not making... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're, we're 
We are not making. We a lot do of money. need to get that donate button up on the website. <laughs> yeah, please, folks. Uh, <laughs> this is actually a callathon. <laughs> Call in at any time. Phones are waiting. The lines are wide open. <laughs> so I grew up uh, with two brothers. I was the oldest. Um, later on, I had three more brothers come along. But I, they'll tell you this isn't true. But I with revisionist history think, you know, I was looking after them, at least attempting to. And <clears throat> so when I got in high school and, uh, started to self-actualize and, you know, look at my friends around me and then later into college, uh, I, I would, I would feel upset when, you know, bad things would happen to them. And I, I saw, because I came into a broken American college system where you pay exorbitant amount of money and you get a degree that most of the time you don't use. And the predatory lending was at its height then. Well, probably even worse now. And what year is this? Uh, that was 2006. And um, so now I have tons of friends that, as everyone my age or everyone period does, that are, you know, they're six figures in student loan debt, or if not six figures, at least close to it. And that if, if they're not focusing on that every day and working towards getting rid of it, they're going to be with that for a long time. And I've heard a lot of them say, because I, I travel a lot, and I'm like, hey, you should come with me for this trip, like one week a year, just give me that, or one month a year, you know, give me that. And they're like, oh, I can't, you know, I've got, I've got bills to pay, I've got all this, blah, 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 blah. And ultimately, a lot of the time it boils down to they are in a, a life that they feel like they have to work, 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 and, you know, focus on that next rung of the company or next uh, pay period or pay period or tier. And a lot of it is because they started their adult life in huge amounts of debt. We can argue about why or their responsibility to pay it back, which, you know, a lot of seasonals don't agree with me when I say, well, you know, you signed that piece of paper, like you took on that debt. That right. is something you did. That's one of the few things we agree on. Right, right. <laughs> Being a responsible seasonal. Exactly. However, I will say that if we don't let 18-year-olds even rent a car, why are we letting them sign these crazy loan agreements yeah. for, you know, that they're going to be paying the rest of their lives? And we and, know 80% yeah. of them are going to be paying these loans at least 20 years. And as a quick aside, uh, I have a few people in mind that I know that have absolutely skirted that obligation. And, you know, some of them I don't even blame. Yeah. <laughs> because... You, you hear the amount of money that they were allowed to borrow right. by uh, what are supposed to be mentors and, you know, respectable financial institutions. And you're like, and People care about them, yeah. Right. How? How? Yeah, you signed it. But these people were, like, telling you to do it. Right. It's Yeah, it's crazy. So, but, yeah, to come back around to the question, I... I have so many friends that I deeply care about that because of the American college situation, mostly not, it's not always this, but because of that and corporate culture in America and whatever else I want to help them see, I got crazy lucky. I got so lucky to be here. I could be right there. I could still be at that post office 
slaving away, having a horrific day, day after day. But I got lucky, got out. And I, I honestly think that most of the people that, you know, I, I want to help out of those situations could make it in the world that I made it in. And so that's why I'm always very outspoken about it. I try to talk to, you know, younger people as well. A lot of, uh, the people, um, so we have the, the duck tour here in town and they, a lot of their employees that sell out on the dock are younger and like 18, 19, 17, 18, 19. And, you know, I'm, I bring them one of the seasonal magazines and they're like, oh, what's this? And I tell them and they're like, oh, yeah, I've been thinking about college and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, listen, you know, and I give them the spiel. Like, if you know what you want to do, if you want to be a doctor, lawyer, any of those, engineer, all that, if you know that's what you want to do, go do it. Go to college, do it. Right. But if you don't know or you're not sure or, you know, your parents are saying, oh, yeah, if you don't go to college, you know, you, you suck. Don't. Don't do it. Take one year off. You can get all those scholarships, all mm-hmm. that stuff, if you just wait a year, and you will know so much more, and you'll get paid. Right. If I think you take that's a gap year. the biggest thing I've noticed from a couple of years of traveling in New Zealand and Australia, and having lived down there, uh, even like you know Canada and England, most Commonwealth countries, a gap year is expected, yeah. and it's uh, I, it wasn't even. A thought I, on my radar. I never had a, a one thought about doing a gap year. I had the opposite. I wanted to get in, get out, and get done with college as quickly as I could, and I did. Yeah. Um, but the eight, especially on tour, every now and then I'll get an eighteen-year-old coming out uh, on tour with me, and his parents will be there, and I say, "Yeah, I'm, I just graduated high school." I said, "You doing a gap year?" And the look of fear in the parents' eyes when I even suggest it, uh, usually joking, is uh, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, because I know that's the rise I'm trying to get out of the parents, but <laughs> that nobody expects the ga- the gap year. Yeah, it's the fact that it's not even uh, an option is shows that we definitely have some work to do. Because it should at least be someone hears about it and goes, "Oh yeah, if he did that, that'd be fine." But most people right. are thinking, "No, my kid's not going to do a gap year." We don't year. do gap years on our we, family. In our family, no, that's a good way of putting it. We I've, don't do. I had a parent say that to me. Wow. And you know, whatever. Um, I <laughs> I don't I don't want to see where that kid is in six years, but I do want to see where that parent is in six years because I think that is. I mean, it's not, it's not their fault, I guess. It, the, the culture we have in America right now is pushing that, that. So I guess I don't, I don't blame the parent. I'm getting upset at the parent, but I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think that brings me around to one of your personal decisions. Um, because I think you and I were the same, that we've, we can be happy. We can be content. Uh, and I believe we, we were before we left and uh, left our normal quote-unquote normal lives in, in Ohio, where we both came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've always seemed a happy and content fellow um, when we started hanging out. I just want to know what made you decide that being content and being happy wasn't enough. Um, from Ohio? Yeah. When I left Ohio. Okay. Yeah, when was being happy at the post office but still having good friends not enough for you anymore? So I – the post office um, – 
I'm not going to answer that question exactly because I wasn't happy at the post office. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, I remember a lot of Dungeons and Dragons games being interrupted by you having to go back to work for your swing shift. Right, yeah. I. So my schedule at the post office was I was working in Columbus, Ohio at the post office. Got the job thinking, okay, this is awesome. The pay is great. I was making more than most of my friends. Uh, it was a respectable job at the postal service, you know, comes with benefits, all that stuff. Uh, but then I went to work it and I quickly within probably the first four months, uh, I was starting to do split shifts, which I would come in at 5am, 5.30am, 6am and pass out the mail to different carriers and then, um, do some other little tasks. And then at about 10, or 11, leave. Drive home through Columbus, Ohio's traffic. Uh, it was usually about 40 minutes to get home. And then take a nap. Eat lunch. Leave again. 40 minutes to traffic the other way. Get back to work. Uh, collect all the mail from the carriers as they came back in. Do some other little tasks. Get all the mail ready to go on the truck to go to the distribution center. Put it back on there. Leave at 7 p.m. So... You know, on a good day, I get to work at 6 a.m. I'm leaving at 6.30 at night or 7. On a bad day, I'm getting there at 5 a.m. And, you know, there's days where I didn't leave until because the carriers were so late. and There's so much pressure on them to finish their uh, their route that I wasn't leaving until 8, 8.30. So it was, it was awful. It was uh, soul-rending. <laughs> right. I was, yeah, it was just so, it was such a bad time, um, in, in my job history. It was by far the worst job. How uh, long did you work that job? Two years. It's two just, years doing that. Yeah, yeah. So until last, no, at the end of the summer, I will finally have worked a job more than I worked that job. Wow. I worked that there two full years. Yeah. Um, I, I've worked at the bar now four summers. And so, yeah, at the end of this summer, I'll have worked that job just as much as I worked the male job. Two full years when put together. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, it was awful, terrible. And my dear old friend, Kat Heineman, uh, probably could tell, I'm sure she could tell. She knows me pretty well. Um, and she told me about her job doing graphic design in Ketchikan, uh, working with her uh, now husband, Russ. And I, I, I knew graphic design a little bit from making websites, doing some affiliate marketing. And I was like, okay, great. That, that sounds awesome. And the kicker, and I tell people this a lot, the kicker was that I was going to make exactly the same amount of money. So that mattered to you? It did matter to me back then, yes, because I I was very different in my mindset back then than I am now. Now, I think I have a better view on life. Back then, I was still in that, you know, I have to do this or, you know, I'm not going to be successful or I have to do, I have to make more money every job I get. I have to get, I have to make a higher amount or I have to get better benefits. I remember the Joey Ravinsky who would only drive a BMW even if it was 40 years old, but dude, I, if I got to pick a car right now, <laughs> it might be a 1987 three series BMW. It's not a 1984 red. Daihatsu charade. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, if it's that specific Daihatsu charade, yes, I would I feel want like it. this is the newlyweds game now. Um. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, then the other answer is the, uh, you know, 67 Mustang Boss 429 uh, forest green color. Well, that's why we're doing this podcast. So right. We can afford it. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. But, um, so, yeah, you came up here. Yeah. So, I... I I was like, hey, that sounds great. I uh, called the boss, Steve Locklear, got the job, um, and came, came up here. All the people at post office were like, why would you ever do that? You're dropping this to go to Alaska. There's igloos there. Who knows what else? And yeah, it was, I basically what I found out the last week I was there was that I was doing the work of three other employees. Uh, every other station in my area that, um, they had three people doing the job that I was doing and I was getting paid the same amount and it was awful. It was totally, it was some of the worst days of my life. A lot of the worst days of my life. And would you go back for three times the pay? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. No. So I, I make, um, I make about four times the pay at the bar, which is why I'm, able to work five months and take seven off. So no, I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Um, money's a big part of, uh, the seasonal lifestyle and mitigating it and sometimes doing without, sometimes having excess, sometimes knowing where to spend and what not to spend money on. Um, when you get paid in tips and you just burns holes in your pockets, you can be irresponsible with it. But, um, finance is always not very far away from uh, the seasonal lifestyle. And despite what our parents think, we actually do consider it from time to time what right. we're doing with our money. It's, um, uh, it's extremely important. I, th- I think I, I said when I was uh, talking to Mary that, you know, to do this, you have to plan at least somewhat. And, you know, financial, planning financially is part of, part of that. Sure. Well, let's, let's, let's move on a little bit because... So you lived in Alaska, you lived in Alaska, and then you moved back to Ohio. Yeah, for a winter. After my first summer, I moved back there. And this is when uh, this is when I remember catching up and kind of joining the fray because um, I remember one weekend driving to Columbus and just seeing which one of my, which one of my friends living there was available to hang out, and I got a hold of you and we hung out, and I think we went to Tree Bar and saw big nick play oh yeah yeah that was it's that a bar night. with a tree in it <laughs> and i remember after maybe one or two bud lights we started really talking about our lives and i remember i remember vividly and maybe it's just because i've told the story so many times i remember vividly when we had the what are we doing with our lives moment and we had that talk and we both just got on one and spent the rest of the night with a whiteboard yeah, and figured out what we're going to do with our lives. Um, I told the story a million times. I don't think I've ever heard you tell it, so I would love you to tell. What do you remember about that fateful evening in 2013 in that fall? Um, I, so what I remember most vividly is that dry erase board with just a list of American cities that we had a person that we could stay with in. And I think we had all 50 states covered. If I, I think remember so. correctly. Yeah, I think so. Um, Calling in favors even if we had to. <laughs> right. We were like, you know, we're pulling out all the stops. We've got to do something. And because I, I think we both 
recognized that uh, we were not living up to our potential at that point. And, and we how, were, how old were you? I was uh, 25, 26, yeah. somewhere in there. I think that's about, about 25 <clears throat> for me, yeah. Yeah, and we we recognized that we weren't living up to our potential, and we were not on a path that we would ever do that. And we were cognizant enough about it that, and, you know, we were, we knew that was something that we needed to do in life. And so, yeah, this was our first attempt at it. And I, I think we, we were throwing around a lot of ideas, but taking the liquid nitrogen tank and the ice cream, uh, idea on the road was one of our ideas, one of our big ones. Yeah, the liquid nitrogen farmer's market froyo or whatever we were going to do. Oh, it was ice cream. Ice cream. Not yogurt. Uh, yogurt is weird. Traveling around festival nitrogen. to festival. Yeah. And fair and, to fair. Yeah, traveling, uh, learning the ropes, hawking our wares, becoming uh, hustlers. And <laughs> how, how close How close were we to being... Uh, <laughs> oh God! Two, two dudes in a you imagine airstream that? trailer with a, with liquid nitrogen tanks <laughs> selling ice cream. I mean, I think we might have been. I feel like that's one health scare away from just making meth in New Mexico because <laughs> we're smart enough we could figure out how to do it without uh, we it can blowing see up. Where the margins are, <laughs> how much money we're making. Yeah, we're hiding money in the floorboards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being distinctly happy and fine with the idea of just becoming a traveling food truck. Yep. Uh, yeah. This is before food trucks were cool, by yeah, the way. Yeah, and we were, I think maybe this was later, but I remember, you know, us saying, all right, well, let's come up with a blueprint of a, a food truck and mm-hmm. let's look at the prices and all that stuff. I remember looking at a permitting for state fairs. Yeah, we for sure did that. Yeah. For sure did that. And yeah, that was. That was an idea that for us was uh, was viable and was going to be rewarding, and you know we'd probably do it. Well, how did we get up to Alaska then? Well, uh, so our last stop, or at least one of our stops, was going to be up to Alaska to catch a can, and I think I believe for the blueberry festival, right? Right. Yeah. And I think somehow <laughs> this <right>. this uh, <laughs> entropy spiral just became well what let's just what if we just go there we have a place to stay right we have jobs and a place to stay (laughs) we'll start there right and then conquer the world yeah so we i you know looking back on it i think we did what um i push a lot of prospective seasonals not to do which is look for the net before you jump we saw a net in ketchikan and we're like well that's a sure thing it's a good gut check for me to remember that uh, I had I didn't just buy a one way ticket to somewhere I'd never even heard of before the first time, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've definitely told a lot of people to do just that. It's still good advice, but I, I nobody think was telling us. Now, yeah, absolutely, and nobody was like, "Hey, it's going to work." Back then, it was just the two of us, and all our friends were working you know, pretty normal jobs or struggling at worst. And we were like, we got to get out of here. We, we cannot do this anymore. Uh, yeah, I definitely remember just being bored at 25. That was not okay. So I'm going to let you humble brag a little bit here. Um, I really, (laughs) 
Uh, I want, I want to, we'll go a little quick here, but um, people are listening to the podcast. They listen to you interview other seasonals. Um, and we obviously, we write, we tell stories, we have a magazine, we try to encourage people to live the seasonal lifestyle or at least think about it um, and educate. But, um, but why, why should anybody listen to you? So I'm going to let you give your seasonal resume and just talk about where you've been, what you've done. Um, give me the quick hitters of the Joey seasonal resume. Okay. Um, all right. My first seasonal foray, I came up to Ketchikan, Alaska, worked at a sign company. Most of the signs in Ketchikan, Alaska, Ketchikan, Alaska that I see, I was either directly worked on or was there for, uh, then at the end of that, I came back to Ohio, worked a warehouse job. We had that meeting, realized I didn't want to do normal anymore. So we came up to Ketchikan again. Uh, the, the guy that owned the glass company, part of the sign company got bought out and the owner put, it was like, Hey, you're in charge of the glass company now. I had no experience, none of that, but he knew, well, I think that he knew I was hardworking and smart enough to do it. So I busted that out. Um, we ended up doing really well. And then at the end of that, uh, you and I were like, all right, what do we want to do next year? And with, we were Jason as well and, or next, uh, season. And we decided, well, let's buy a sailboat and cruise around the Caribbean, figure that, that out and maybe buy a vinyl cutter and do some boat lettering for money. Right. And this is September, just for some context, end of September, September of 2014. 14, yeah. And so the boat thing didn't end up working out, but you and I flew to St. Thomas and in the Virgin Islands. We fly down there. We had all these ideas of we're not looking up anything. You know, we're, we're going to put pound the pavement, get ourselves jobs, great place to live, all that stuff. I distinctly and remember you not let you you would make sure I wasn't worrying about it. Uh, you'd make fun of me if I was worrying about it. Right. Uh, you say you bring the, maybe I bring the best out of you if I interview you, but I remember the battle of who could care less <laughs> about what was going to happen to us when we got to an island in the Caribbean that neither one of us had even Googled. Right. So we get there that first night, and this, I think, explains our entire uh, mindset back then. We were going to sleep in the airport that night yeah. and hit it bright and early. Uh, if anybody's ever been to Serial King, you know you can't sleep in that airport. It's too small, and they close it. So we had to find a hotel. And I remember trying to hustle that woman behind the counter. To our, our parents didn't get in. <laughs> our oh, man. So, yeah, we ended up paying almost full, full price. price. <laughs> <laughs> And we stayed there that night, air conditioning, so comfortable, wonderful. And But after that, um, the next day, we had to find a place. We had to find jobs. We had to find people to hang out with, places to hang out, and uh, learn the culture. And I think we, we did okay. Uh, we did a lot of that. We had really tough going there for a while, lived in some, some shitty places for sure. Um, but, you know, it was a good time. And then... We had some unfortunate experiences with uh, violence down there and ended up, uh, you found a great opportunity, which paid off, you know, really well in Wyoming. And yeah, I, just to be clear, I left the island, what about six months or six weeks before you did? I was there until the end of January. Yeah. You left in October. No. Or you left, no, you were there for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I was there in December. So you left 
Uh, in December, it? earlier December. Yeah, early December. I think it was like okay, yeah, December so 15th when I got to Wyoming. So, yeah, I was there maybe six weeks longer than okay, you. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you went to Dogmush uh, in Wyoming. I stayed. Um, and I, I, I want to make sure that everyone understands it wasn't because you were gone, but I did better after that because it's so much easier for one person right. to find a place to stay, to find a group to get into, all that stuff than it is for up. two people. Exactly. So yeah, I had, I had a friend, my buddy, uh, Jeff, that was like, oh, I got a hotel room that comes with the job. Like there's plenty of space. Just stay with me until you figure something out. And, you know, I had all these friends who are like, oh, you know, Ryan left. Hey, come hang out with us, you know? And it's immediately, it was like, I was making more money. I was <clears throat> in a better and cheaper living experience. I was going out doing different things. I finally had access to a car sometimes. And the St. Thomas experience got way better. And then I left there, went to Thailand because Brittany and Mary said that if I come visit them, they would write an article. And I looked at plane tickets, and this is another lesson I had. So they're like, hey, we'll write an article for the website, the seasonal website, if you come visit us. And How I was come like, I haven't seen that article? Either uh, one. Mary wrote the Cool Works one. Oh, or, they no, no, have Brittany, wrote them now. Brit- Brittany wrote the Cool <laughs> Works one. It took them a yeah. while. <laughs> it took them five years, but they did it. And uh, um, Thank you, Mary and Brittany. So back then, I was like, flights to Thailand, that's crazy. I, there's way too much money. So I looked it up just to take a picture of it and send it to Brittany and say, basically, I'm not spending you know, $1,500 to get you to write an article for a website that gets five people a month on it. And so I sent her a pic. I, well, I saw the price, and it was 700 bucks. And Round trip? No, not round trip. Um, but also to to speak to the financial planning thing, I my goal before I left in March was to get to five thousand dollars in my bank, and I had already gotten there mid January, and so in my mind, I see this low price, <clears throat> I see that I've already reached my financial goal, and I I really I loved uh, the people I was spending time with there, especially. Uh, Michael Sinich and Virginia Holler, but it, uh, I, you know, I was over it. And so I was like, all right, I did it. I, well, I, okay, hold on. I didn't just do it. I, I decided, cause back then this is where I was mentally. I, I was like, all right, I'm going to pick three people that know me well. I'm going to ask them if I should do it. And if two of them say yes, I'm going to do it. So I call my mom and I was like, Hey, you know, I, I made the money I wanted to here thinking about buying this ticket to Thailand, uh, and kind of gave that. And, you know, she asked about a little bit about, you know, what I was doing. And, but then she kind of basically said like, why are you calling me? All right. Why are you asking me? Like, you know, so I was like, okay, that's a yes. Uh, and then I called my buddy Steven and he was like, I gave him the spiel and he's like, all right, well, you know, I'm a little busy now. Let me call you tomorrow and we'll talk about it. And then I called uh, Shep, and I gave him the spiel, and he's like, it sounds like you got it figured out, dude. You know, do it. And so I was like, all right, I do it. So I bought the ticket. The next day, Stephen called me. He calls me in the morning, and he's like, okay, well, I was thinking about this and this and this and asked me questions. And I was like, well, I bought the tickets already, but here are my answers and kind of rattled them off. And so I go to Thailand, and it is completely – 
it's like Narnia almost. I, you know, my mindset then was never been out of the country and everything is so different there. It was, it was amazing. Every day I was so tired at the end of the day because I was focusing on how to, in every situation here, you know how conversations are going to go. You know, if you're walking down the street, what you're going to see, you know, you know, going through any situation you have, there's a small range of probable outcomes there. I had no clue what was going to happen minute to minute. So I'm hyper-focused on what's around me, what people are saying, uh, you know, what, what I want to do and what I'm able to do with the limited understanding I have. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, I was just so tired because my brain's running at 90% all the time, trying to learn and take in everything and trying to navigate this new, totally new experience. And <clears throat> that was, I think, looking back on that, that was the first part where thing where I was like, okay, I, that travel bug, that travel itch, I've got it now. I'm hooked. And big time. And so... I, uh, I leave Thailand and I, while I'm in Thailand, I think to myself, okay, we've got the magazine going. What job do I want on the Island, uh, that would help me meet more people? And the, the obvious answer was bartender at the asylum makes great money. I know everybody in, on the Island. So what made you decide to come back to catch can instead of just another new place? Uh, I quick. think it is that I'm not 100% sure, but a, a really good guess would probably be that you and Jason had decided to come back or, you know, we had talked about going back or something um, because then you were doing the Zodiac tour guiding mm -hmm. um, and Jason was going to be the doc manager there. So, you know get the gang back together. We had unfinished business on the island. So it's probably pretty easy to say. Well, it was still here. Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I got on the island. Uh, I went down to the bar, and um, I saw uh, somebody filling out an application. And so I filled out one, too, and just kind of tried to talk to Carlos directly. Um, and... I was like, hey, I want to work here. And it's <laughs> this the real story of me starting to work at the asylum is really funny. Normally I just say, Oh yeah, I, I wanted to work at the asylum. I told Carlos. And he's like, okay. But the real story is I get there one day at 10 a.m. I was like, hey, uh, here's my application. I'd like to work here. And he's like, ah, well, uh, come in, um, come in like tomorrow at nine. And so I get in the next day at nine. He's like, oh hey, I'm I'm busy. Like, come in, uh, come in Friday at ten. So, I, all right, yeah, come in Friday at ten. He's like, oh, uh, you know, I I don't think we need anybody, but uh, you know, maybe maybe Tuesday come in, you know. And so I come in Tuesday, and I'm I'm like, hey, uh, Carlos asked me to come in. They're like, oh, he's not here today. I was like, okay. So I came in the next day, and I was like, hey, you know, uh, I was I was here yesterday. I really like the job. And finally, after all that, he's like, all right, well, you know, get behind the bar, watch what I do. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what you need to do and then we'll see how it goes. And so, uh, you know, I'm getting nice. I'm running the back, 
learning how to change a keg and all, all that stuff. And uh, he's like, okay, well, you did all right. Come in uh, like Thursday at 10 and or 9.30 and you'll do a full day. And I was like, okay, awesome. So I go home, you know, chest puffed up, feeling great. You know, I'm going to be a bartender at the asylum. And so I come in that morning and he's like, all right, you know, he's giving me the, the real hard bad cop act. He's like, listen, I think I was there for that. I think you were there for that because it's, it's a lot of like when we do the impression of that day, it's always, you steal a bag of chips. I break your legs. Yeah. You give your friends drinks. I break your legs. You charge your buddies $2 for a drink instead of three. I break your legs. Yeah. It was a lot of threats, a lot of screaming. Uh, but luckily none of it's admissible in court. No, no, not at all. Uh, what I tell Carlos and the customers that ask me why I still work there after he yells at me, um, I've been called worse by better people. And I grew up, uh, my dad was a chef, my, you know, as I grew up. And if you know anything about the food industry, you know, those guys can, those guys can yell and they're, they're smart about it. So no matter what Carlos yelled at me or said, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't over he was wasn't going over what my dad had already yelled at me so i I, the yelling doesn't get to me i felt like that in my employment as well i've never had a boss say anything worse to me than i don't know fathers yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks thanks dad appreciate the preparation (laughs) that is that is their jobs though right (laughs) which you know uh and so yeah I, i start working and he's right there beside me showing me you know anytime i have a question or he's doing a lot of stuff and i'm just helping or i'm doing stuff and he's helping and about uh, 11 o'clock, which looking back on it now is terrifying because 11 o'clock is when it gets busy. 11 o'clock, he says, hey, I got to go uh, take over, you know, just you. And then Elwood was there, too, and who helped clean the glasses, change the kegs, all that. And so he leaves and it explodes. It is so busy. I'm sure looking back on it, it's like a Where's Waldo situation. Like there's people coming, literally crawling down the the banisters, but, uh, it was very extremely overwhelming and he didn't teach me how to do the food part of it, which were right next to Burger Queen. The computer systems are linked. They tell me their order. Burger Queen gets it, grills it, brings it over. And so I had no clue. So I was figuring it out with a line of about 10 people waiting on me and, you know, I'm going through and I'm just like at first I'm, I'm hyper-focused. I'm not thinking about anything except that next customer, that next customer, that next customer. And, but after a while, after like two hours, I'm like, where is he? Like, you know, where is he to help me? And so I'm still, you know, mostly customers, but I'm thinking, where the fuck is this guy? Like, I don't, I am failing. He set me up for failure. And so when, when it dies down about three, four, 4 PM, he waltzes in after doing God knows what and says, oh, how'd it go? And I just like, I look at him like, I cannot believe you just asked me that question. You knew this was going to happen. And I'm, I'm like, it, I, it was crazy. There were tons of people. I, you didn't teach me about the food part. He's letting his own bar burn down just to see how you do. Exactly. And <laughs> he, so I, I go on this like this half tirade, half like, I still really want this job. Like, but you, you fucked me like thing. And he, he's like, okay, well every, and honestly, this might be the calmest I've ever seen Carlos in the four years I've worked for him. He goes, okay, well everybody got their drinks, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. But he's like, all right, well, you know, nobody really complained too much and you got through it. You did well. Right. And I was like, yeah, but he's like, all right, well, great job. 
coming tomorrow. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, what? What the, What was your tips that day? What'd you make? Let's talk turkey. I have no clue. Yeah, you don't remember? <laughs> I have absolutely no clue. I'm sure it was over $200, which at the time was way more than I'd ever made in a day. Right. Uh, and plus the hourly, which at the time was uh, $10 an hour. And so, yeah, I made, you know, I probably made on the low end. The lowest I could have made that day was 300 The I would guess that I made closer to 400 yeah. my first day. And I had never bartended before. I'd done plenty of serving, but um, and so yeah, I I became a bartender at the asylum in a in Ketchikan. What I wanted to do, and what I at the bar in Alaska. Yeah, at the number one bar in Alaska. At the time, it was number eight. Uh, but you know, when I work places, it it gets better. Yeah, when yeah. I work at places, we become number one at Trip Advisor as well. Right, we know the game exactly. And so yeah, I, I was working there. I was meeting everybody. On the island, uh, I was getting into more of the uh, events that you wouldn't hear about unless you knew these certain people. I was getting into the real seasonal culture. I was pushing our magazine on people. We were becoming bigger. Yeah, we had a pretty sweet magazine, if I recall, at that point. <clears throat> oh, dude, it was awesome. Still is. Uh, but, you know, it also sucks. And uh, <laughs> so at the end of that summer, I was like, oh, this is great. Let's keep this rolling. And so I decided to... Uh, travel, do a little, uh, or no, I remember. So at the end of that, um, my friend Russ was telling me that he bought a sign company in Colorado in Salida, Colorado. And, uh, he wanted me to come try it for two months and decide if I wanted in. And I was like, Oh, that sounds great. Owning a sign company. Like I love doing it before. Let's try it out. So I fly down there. Um, we're also doing a Kickstarter for the magazine then. And I had plans to go to South America with my girlfriend at the time. And I get there, and the situation isn't exactly how he described it. Um, and so it ends up they there wasn't a position, a paid position for me to work. So, But I had enough money from the bar that that didn't bother me. And, you know, I was spending time with them. And Kat, Kat, my friend Kat was down there. And I got to be really good friends with Russ's brother, Bart, and his friends, uh, Zach and Brett, and that whole town. And just loved my time there. Worked a lot on the Kickstarter, calling in people like, hey, we need donations for this Kickstarter, blah, blah, blah. Really selling the magazine. That's that's when I was pushing it really hard. And uh, left from there to Columbia and kind of doing the travel thing again out of out of a foreign country and learned so much from that trip as well about traveling and all that. And then... You survived going to Colombia? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the whole Pablo Escobar, the gunfights every day, all that narcos sort of stuff. Yeah, I figured my way out. What have you ever have went to Colombia had you not done Thailand first? No. I gotcha. No, um, you know, because I thought, like... Every every other American, um, well, or anybody, I guess, that Colombia was a dangerous place, and um, th- there was there is all those um, the narco's idea, the the violence, all that. And I went down there and found I found an incredible, beautiful country. You didn't get kidnapped? No, I didn't get kidnapped. Um, just I I absolutely fell in love with the country and the people, and they they're so ready to show you that 
where they are from where they were. It's the story of redemption that I never get tired of hearing a Colombian tell it. It's it's beautiful. And they're they just You the, do mean from like the Pablo days. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 The hostel I stay at in Medellin, um, this wonderful woman owns that and she she's I've heard her tell the story multiple times and it's so passionate. And she gets really into it, and as she should. I mean, she should be proud of her people. It's it's incredible what happened. And so, yeah, I went down there and found this, you know, uh, wonderful place and loved it. It was incredible. Is that where Trash Grounds was born? Not that trip, but yes, Trash Grounds <laughs> was born in Salento, Colombia, at uh, Ocasio um, Coffee Farm. And so I <clears throat> left there, um, went. So every year I play my alumni basketball tournament in Marietta, and I, I've never missed it. I've I've flown in from New Zealand now. I've flown in from Colombia, and you know it's like there are people in Columbus that are like, ah, you know, I can't make it that weekend. It's a long way to go to ride the bench, Joey. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Two hours for them is a long way to go to ride the bench. But you know, when you're the star player, <laughs> you uh, that's not true. I haven't been the star player the last couple of years, but. Yeah, so I, I just I love that tournament. I love seeing my friends, so I go back for it. Uh, the next season, I went back to Ketchikan, went to the asylum, worked there again. Uh, you know, had this idea that I was going to make more money and get more into the seasonal culture and all that stuff, and I did. Um, my goal has always been to end once I realized w- what was going on. Once I had that uh, outer look of the situation. I decided I want to leave with double the money I left with the year before. And so that summer went by super fast. It was awesome. Uh, left with plenty of money. And you and I decided to go to New Zealand. This would be our second one-way ticket without any research. <laughs> right. All we had was a working holiday visa. Mm-hmm. and I think we- that's as far as it went was... <clears throat> getting a working holiday visa. Right. We we didn't even talk <laughs> Which, to Which, by the way, there. is very easy. Uh, Bethany told us that Wanaka's the place to be. We yep. had our friend Andy Kloon there, but we didn't really talk to him that much about it, and so we flew into Auckland. One of the... No, I'll say it. it the best flight I've ever been on. Uh, me too. 16 hours. Empty Airbus 380. I remember when we landed, you said, I could do that again. I could have flown right back to Dallas Fort Worth from <laughs> I could Sydney, have Australia. That back immediately. Yeah. We probably we watched so many movies and just had a we got blast. To, the airplane ran out of coffee to serve us. Well, they ran out of Jameson. More importantly, <laughs> and the Baileys. I was willing to drink the Jameson without the coffee. Uh, so yeah, we we flew into Auckland and no plans, but we were like, what are we gonna do? We knew we were going to get to Wanaka at some point. So we're looking at rental cars. We're looking at, you know, how to get there. And then somehow... I think we we both thought we probably wanted to work. But just so we could live the the seasonal lifestyle. Right. We wanted to work, but it wasn't about community. It was about, you know, just leaving with the same amount we came with. Yeah, I remember that being the goal. If we could break even, that was success. Yeah. (laughs) And so we... One of us found a flight for less than $100 down to Wanaka. And we knew and Andy was down there. And we're like, all right, well, let's just let's call him. No answer. All right, well, let's just buy it. And we bought it. And he called us back when we were in the gate and said, oh, what's up, guys? Oh, you guys are coming to Wanaka? Like, 
awesome. I've got a place for you to stay for a week, this awesome Airbnb compound. I've got, you know, a social group that you're immediately going to get into. I'm sure we can get you jobs pretty quick. I'll pick you up. We'll go get, you know, burritos or whatever that hamburger place in Queenstown was. Oh, Ferg Burger. Ferg Burger, yeah. And great. So we get on the plane. We are jacked on life, dude. We are about to slaughter New Zealand. When Andy called us back with, the, you know, his headband on and was like, I can pick you up from the Queenstown airport because we were kind of looking at it. Let's try to sleep in the airport again. Right. Oh, <laughs> Which yeah. always works. Always. And, yeah, I mean, that was the point where we had no clue anything about New Zealand. And we went from we're jumping without a net to all of a sudden we have a sick pad to stay at. Pretty sure we're going to get jobs. Already have friends set up. Totally set up. Less than 24 hours. Yeah, we – we- we we crit we hit we hit we rolled a twenty, on yeah, the, on the D twenty, and it actually makes me nervous to think that maybe that's never going to happen again in our lives, where everything lines it up so perfectly. Probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> we've yeah. already we've already used it. We've used our luck already. Everything lines up perfectly, um, and we get down there. We we're playing disc golf every day. Most beautiful place in the world. We're you know we got jobs that we enjoyed. Um, met tons of great people down there and it was amazing. And then, so at the end of that season, I wasn't making much money. Like even though I was serving at what became the number one restaurant in the entire country of New Zealand while I was there, uh, because you know, that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> I believe burrito craft is also the number one restaurant in Wanaka now. So that's true. That's true. And I wasn't making a lot of money. I was making $15 an hour in New Zealand, which was 11 and then maybe $10 on top of that, a shift in tips. And so, I mean, it was, I was used to much more. I, in New Zealand dollars, I was making 70 here. And so that's a big jump. And so I was thinking about coming back a little early. Yeah, that's like, a hard job to do for $70. It's so Serving st- tables so is a hard stressful. job to do for no so money. So stressful. That's... That's the last job other than the asylum I've ever had. That one, that one broke me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, uh, I came back early, um, played my basketball tournament, um, hung out on my grandparents' farm for a while, which is always one of the highlights of my year, and uh, then went to catch a can again. Um, did normal thing, all that stuff. Left with uh, 10 grand this time. And then that that winter, the winter after that, I was talking to Hamish one night at the bar during that summer, and had didn't have plans yet. I, I at that point was waiting until September every year to decide what I was going to do, and we're sitting at the bar with him and Jamie Barr, and uh, he's like, "Oh, I think I think I really want to go to Eastern Europe for the winter," and I was like, "Okay, awesome." Um, I don't have anything to do. Like, can I go? He's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's buy tickets. I was like, all right, sweet. So I was like, uh, well, can Carly come? He's like, yeah, Carly can come. Sweet. And so we, we book our tickets and all that. And we're telling, uh, Chloe about it. And she's like, oh, can I come? And we're like, yeah, yeah, you can come. So the four of us go to Eastern Europe. We go Romania, Hungary, Austria, Slovakia, Italy for two months. And it, it was an incredible trip. 
And then I had uh, made plans to take 10 people with me to Columbia after that. And so Hamish and I fly back into Chicago. We are there for less than 24 hours. We fly back out to, we fly to Columbia from there. And 10 of some of my best friends uh, down there for two weeks. I told them all it'd be less than $1,000, plane trip, plane ticket included. And uh, I think Fudge only spent 600 on everything, plane, tri- plane ticket included. Everybody was less than 1000 And uh, yeah, it was an awesome trip. And then at the end of that, went to my basketball tournament, came up here, and this summer with uh, delusions of grandeur, to do a podcast and make this magazine worth a shit, and uh, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, that's um, so. That's the five-year saga of uh, a budding seasonal. Uh, where I've been, where I'm going, and the art of failure <laughs> well, is the book title. Uh, is that written? Did you steal that? Did Not that yet. Can I have that? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah, you can. If you ever write again, you can use it. Um. Yeah. Um. You know, basically. It's been five years. Where do you see? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Are you still a seasonal? Are you still? What's the end goal? Where are you at? Uh, so I'll do a ceiling, probable, and floor. Yeah, that sounds great. Ceiling is uh, this podcast blows up. Our quarterly that we're going to do in January blows up. Quarterly magazine. Quarterly magazine blows up. Um, we start doing the local magazines in other places and really what that is to do is to spread the idea that the seasonal lifestyle or at minimum a gap year in america is viable rewarding and responsible responsible financially and otherwise and it makes you a fuller person um i want that idea to spread because i think it's if it pisses a lot of old people off when I tell them that at the bar, I'm doing something right. <laughs> What's funny is it's usually the older people that I ha- that I have on tour that think it's the greatest thing in the world. Like I, it, it's people that are in their 60s and older that seem to think, ah, oh, yeah, you got it made. You got the life. People that are on a you're cruise right. that have just retired from working are like, yeah, maybe you're doing it. I hear it all the time. Yeah. But I also hear those, the ones that are very upset that I even think that this is something I should be doing. Or there's another way to do it other than the way that they, they told you to do it. Yeah. yeah and I what, I, what I explain to a lot of people is I think there, there are train, a ton of different train tracks to success. Some people have brick walls built up around theirs. They can't see the other ones. Sure. And sometimes, yeah. a lot of times that's okay. I mean, you're still going to have a great life, enjoy yourself, whatever. But for some people that are not enjoying themselves, are not happy with where they are, they need a little help, a boost over that wall to see the endless amount of other train tracks they could be on that might work better for them. Sure. And I think seasonal life is one of those. And uh, I, it's been, I was so lucky to get into it and it's, you know, totally changed my life for the better. And so I think for, if, even if I'm erring on getting too many people into it, I'm happy with it. Because the people that I have brought into it are killing it and loving it and loving life compared to what they were doing before. Sure. So I, I, I'm going to keep doing it. So, yes, yeah, ce- <laughs> uh, your ceiling is? That's my ceiling, is making the seasonal huge and becoming the spokesperson for this lifestyle and seeing where that takes me. The What's probably going to happen 
is either the quarterly or the podcast will do okay. Uh, you know, um, it'll get out there. Pe- people I talk to will start being like, okay, yeah, you're, do- you're doing really well. You're successful at what you're doing. I don't know if it's for me, but, you know, maybe if it's for somebody I know, I'll, I'll tell them about it. Um, and I either, you know, find some way to find a, find a job that, you know, will carry me into my mid-30s. Uh, not the bar, but uh, maybe, you know, a different uh, ownership or some sort of position in a company that uh, maybe even content creation, if somebody sees the podcast, like, hey, you know, you should come do this for us. And I'll be like, all right, is it remote? <laughs> and so, yeah, that might, that I would say that's probably what's going to happen. Um, is I carve out my little lifestyle and really enjoy it. Um, and then the basement of what's possible is, uh, I get lazy and this doesn't work. You know, you get busy with other life stuff. Kelly starts to realize that we're pieces of shit. She hasn't yet. Um, and this doesn't work out. I, have to start over in a city and, you know, maybe get real about life. And that's, you know, that's what could happen too. Um, yeah, you see, you know, like, uh, get, get real about life. Um, who, who isn't the seasonal lifestyle for? So people that, and I, I know a lot of them that, I mean, in a positive way, right? No, there's, there are a lot of, in a positive way, the seasonal life is not for someone that, uh, wants to be uh, in a profession that needs a lot of school time, that needs to be in one place for a long time. So your doctors, your engineers, your lawyers, all that stuff. I mean, it's tough to find a job that does that seasonally or in a, in a place, in a travel destination. And um, if, you, if you already have like this driving passion for tech or medical or any of those things, or, you know, if you've found a life that you just love, um, either. Yeah. I used to default to that. Yeah. If, if you already found a life that you love and it works for you and your train track is covered in flowers and it's taking you exactly where you want to go. A lot of the trades people I know are in that situation. I know some welders, uh, linesmen, um, you know, a lot of electricians, stuff like that, that they're doing great. They're, they're doing wonderfully. Um, they, they're making enough money to support their lifestyles and they're having a blast doing it. And those guys, it's like, dad, don't, you don't, you don't need this. And they're like, yeah, I I know. Why, why do you keep saying that to me? We're trying to have lunch here. And so it's, (laughs) there's a lot of people that it's not for, but there's also a lot of people that I would like to see do it better than hopefully, uh, it's a better situation for them. Um, yeah, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, cause let's talk about Let's talk about the content in the magazine and uh, what what the seasonals is doing. Um, what uh, especially like for the for the website or you know what makes a good interview? What makes a good article? What do you want to see and uh, future articles from the seasonal? What makes a good article? Yeah, uh, let's talk. Let's use this opportunity to say <laughs> we would love submissions for articles. Uh, Joey and I are the editors here at the seasonal and the seasonal website. 
Well, first of all, I don't want anybody to th- find us intimidating anymore. Yeah, apparently we're scary dudes. Ke- Kelly told us that people think, you know, they don't give us their stuff because we're intimidating. And I I think we might have that reputation, but if if you send us something, we're going to read it and we're going to tell you, you know, how we feel about it. And it, we're not going to be like, "Oh, it sucks you're out." I do remember one time you getting an article submission from someone that we loosely knew and you looked at me and you said, I would rather just never talk to this person again than have to tell them how bad their article was. was So maybe maybe it was one time. (laughs) It was a bad article. I read it. But we get so many good ones. We do. We do. Um, That's hold on. Let me rephrase that. The ones that we get, the few that we get, are really good. Yes. So I'm open to getting more. And we love working with new writers. We've had some really great experiences with new writers or writers that just have a blog or something. And or people like, tell me they can't write. And maybe they can't write. But they can tell me a story. Right. Everybody can tell a story. And that's all we need. We just need a story. Yep. Because that's what I want to I want to read their story. I want to hear about what they did. So... Uh, to me, a great article is a great story um, that is usual. Um, I wanted to say actionable, but not every story has to be actionable. Uh, yeah, it's just a great story. A great story about the seasonal lifestyle is what we want. And everybody living the seasonal lifestyle has one, at least one. So, you know, if you want 100 bucks, send us send us your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we... we- uh, this is just the PSA we are willing uh, to pay and for writers. And right now that is mostly just all self-funded uh, and yeah. just a little bit of that Kickstarter. Uh, but yes, we, we want we want good no, writers. Kickstarter is gone. We, Kickstarter is gone. We're, uh, we're back running down on pocket. ads for the Catch a Can magazine. Right yeah. So <laughs> uh, a little scrappy. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we want articles and we were willing to pay a lot more than a lot of actual major publications would ever pay for an article. Oh, it's way more than other publications that are in the same realm as us. Maybe that's our problem. Even when we do pub trivia, we offer $250 bar prizes. We're offering too much, you think? I've never heard of a bar giving $250 for pub trivia. Well, we do when we run the, the season trivia. Man. That's Crazy. true. <laughs> um, awesome. And um, I uh, took a little cue from you listening to your wonderful podcast, and you usually ask... Uh, or you have asked your guests, you know, what, what what question do I need to ask the next guest if if they know who the next guest might be? Okay. Uh, I remember uh, Kistner, you asked him about arson. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. I asked a couple of people what I should ask you and yeah, people that know you. David Dentinger asked me, he said to tell you, he said to ask you who the best non-editing essayist for the website is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, well, if you're listening to the podcast, um, you may have been to our website and seen some of the articles and the editors are me, Ryan and Kelly. And so that eliminates me and Ryan. So then that comes down to, let's look at our greatest hits and our articles that we didn't write. The first one that comes to mind is, uh, Jeff Carlson's, uh, story about taking his boat from with his dad and his grandpa from here to Seattle. I think we added two commas to it. Yeah, it was great. It was perfect when Mm -hmm. he gave it to us. And 
It reads really well. Thanks, it's Jeff. It's a great story. Thank you, Jeff. Um, <clears throat> secondly, I think uh, you've got to look at Austin Benz's um, teaching in Thailand, Primer. Yes. That was That is still, in my mind, the article I show people when I want a primer. And I want so many primer. I want a primer for everything. And Austin was the first one to step up to the plate, and he knocked it out of the park. He killed it. It was amazing. We even split it into two articles, and it's still one of our great successes with the magazine. I think next you look at uh, David's article, Buying happiness. I'm, I think that's what he was getting at. <laughs> I'm taking my time to get there. Okay. <laughs> I buying happiness. Um, when I tell people about the website, I it's usually my friends from back home, and so I always tell them to read Dirge of the Trash Fish, which is you said it was the funniest on the website at the time, and. I'm really happy with how it came out. It needs edited now because I wrote it three years ago and it's it's a little loose. But uh, the other article I tell people to read is Buying Happiness because I think it, more than any other article we have, encapsulates what we're trying to explain to people, which is you if you want everything out of life you can get, you have to look at it in a different way than you're looking at it right now. And no matter what that means to you or what you take away from it, you're going to be, it's going to be a success and you're going to be happy with how you come out on the other end. And I think David did such a good job, not addressing that exactly, but giving an incredible example of what that can look like, which is an article about how he spent money on a spear gun and what that did to his happiness and changed his life. And then he talks about the idea of buying happiness in the seasonal lifestyle. And so uh, to answer the question that David asked, who's the best non-editor writer in the website, I'm going to say David Dentinger because he needs a win. <laughs> <It's> a win. <laughs> and I love him. Um, yeah, and uh, Lou, Louis Leva uh, wanted to know, he said, you know, you've been to a lot of places and definitely weaving yourself into the social fabric is part of uh, becoming a seasonal, becoming part of that community. So he, he just said to ask you, uh, what was your strategy for fitting into a new community? And have you ever had any failures? My strategy for fitting into a new community, and have I had any failures? I am, and I think a lot of people don't know this about me because I do try not to let on to it, uh, is pretty shy person if I don't know anybody. Um, my first summer up here, I really only met the towns, the locals. Um, and I hung out with them, went to their parties, kind of got into the same way of life that I had back in Ohio, uh, because I wasn't going out and meeting a ton of people. And then when you and Jason came the next year, you guys, you guys would talk to anybody. You were bringing people into the group every single day. And so I met a ton of people and, you know, then I got to the point where everybody kind of knew me. So it was really easy to talk to a new person because the people I knew outnumbered the people I didn't know. Um, but when it, now when I want to get to know a new, uh, you know, make friends or get into a new social scene, um, 
a great way of doing it is getting a job in that area as a seasonal, you get a job, you automatically have five to 20 people now that you are probably going to be friends with. Uh, the other thing, um, go out to the bar and, you know, just strike up a conversation with whoever looks cool and, you know, go from there. Just start saying, Hey, how you doing? What's your name? That gets you way farther than you think. Um, and the other thing is, Whatever your hobbies or passions are, find a way to do it in your new spot and you'll find people that like to do it also and that will go from there. You meet people through people. So, you know, you just want to start meeting people. I mean, when we played disc golf in New Zealand, we we met, we found jobs that way. We found a place to live that way. It, <coughs> and at the time when we started, we didn't know we loved disc golf, but we do now. So... That's what I would say. Uh, just get involved, put yourself out there, and do do what you like to do, and find people that also like it, and follow that trail. Like when you meet one person, and then you meet another person through them, and another person through them, follow that trail. Be open to meeting new people always, and you're suddenly you're going to be surrounded by people that you can't live without. All right. Now, has there ever been a seasonal job that you've seen that you've been jealous of? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, your Zodiac job you got your first summer, your, your first season doing seasonal work and you're already, you've already got the best job on the Island. It was incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous of that job every day. Yeah. You know, the, I don't want to work for that company, but I want that job for sure. Um, other than that, uh, I think a boat captain down in the Caribbean was, th- I mean, those guys were some of them were but you have to obviously douchebags. You have to live down in the Caribbean, though. Yeah, true. That's a problem. But they were, they were cool, man. Some of them were. <laughs> no, I mean they they looked cool. Oh yeah, they had the um, the Jeep Wrangler. Oh yeah, uh, with no dents in it, which yeah, meant you were island. Walk. You were island royalty. Yeah, you had the uh, the Ray Bans tan around your eyes. Yep, which even ski bums love that. You had uh, long hair and you wore a bandana around your neck to block the sun. And I yeah, I just remember the board shorts and the black board shorts and the Jeep Wrangler was island royalty and it was all boat captains. Yeah. And then the third one I would say is up here the float plane pilots. Okay. I don't know many of them, but what a great gig that is, right? I mean, you're flying I think so, yeah. float planes five times a day, making absurd amounts of money. Yeah, and you, you don't, you usually don't get bad tourists at a bar. I get some shitty tourists, sure, but those guys don't. So, uh, yeah, they do sometimes. They sure, do sometimes, but um, I guess just as a challenge, I kind of wanted to end on a on a little bit of a challenge because I've been thinking about this too. Bring it on. Uh, because eventually you do get to a point where I'm doing the same thing every year. Maybe you need to keep expanding. You need to keep growing. Um, although that sounds <clears throat> lame and cheesy to say. Well, I took on a growing. new job this summer as well. Right. I started I've been very proud of you this summer for you've been working your tailbone off um, by selling tourists down there on the docks. So what I did there is uh, the last three years, ever since I was in Columbia, um, right before Columbia, New Year's, I... New Year's Eve, I decide what I want to do the re- next year. And you I tell use, me you actually make New Year's <clears throat> resolutions and follow through. I on do, them? but it's not like it's not like that. It's not like that. It's one. It's 
It's two words. It's not like it's, that. I'm different. My first year, I wanted to liberate, which meant I wanted to get people out of lives they weren't happy liberate in. others and get them yes because i was in colombia simone bolivar is huge there he liberated almost all of south america and it was just like you know what i can do that in my own way so i wanted to do that uh the second one uh was to create i wanted to be more creative in my own stuff with the magazine all that this year uh it was to rise i wanted to get out of where i was um i by making more money, becoming a bigger part of a lot of different communities. And I, I, you know, you, you spend your twenties in this sort of area, or at least I did where you're doing well, but you're not, you're always looking up. And I was like, I don't want to look up anymore. I don't, I don't want to look up at people, um, that I know I can do what they're doing anymore. So just get there. Just do it. Just how do I, what do I do to make that happen? And so I'm, you know, I'm going all over all the podcasts I listen to, all the books I've read. I'm like, all right, how do I do this? And I fixated on this uh, episode of How I Built This with Guy Raz that had Mark Cuban on it. And Guy at the end of the interview asked him, if you lost everything today, all your billions, everything, what would you do to get back? And he said, if I lost everything, I would... I would get a sales job in the morning. I would get a bartending job at night. I would get up to, I would make a lot of money. And then I would learn about the next big tech and I would hammer into it. And the second part, I don't know about, but the first part, getting a sales job in the morning, a bartending job at night. I was like, all right, I got half of that. And I've got a great opening into the other half. So I did it. And, you know, I worked my face off the beginning of the summer and then, I carried that into the input into the magazine. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a busy summer. It's gone super fast and I don't get to sleep near as much as I want to, but it, looking back on it, it's been worth it. And at the end of the summer, I'm going to be extremely happy with myself. Yeah. I've been, I've been very pleased uh, seeing you. Uh, I, I've noticed that you, I don't want to say being lazy, but you being more active, you not being lazy, about work has made you not lazy in a lot of other areas. Right. Uh, I remember in college when I had when I only had class two days a week, I never did anything. I never did my homework. If I had class five days a week, all of a sudden I had all the time in the world to work on my schoolwork. Yeah. It was when I actually had a lot more, you know, it's just about managing your time and not realizing where it goes. Um, but I've noticed that uh, we've put out more magazines. We've put out a magazine every month uh, in Catch Can, which is just a little local thing we do here. Um, well, we have Kelly now too. We do have Kelly, which is uh, maybe we shouldn't take so much credit. Maybe we should give it all to Kelly because she probably deserves it. Yeah, I mean we've uh, we've what doubled our likes on Facebook. We have people that are giving her quintupled. articles because they're too intimidated to give them to us. Right, we've quintupled our Instagram followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a podcast now. We're about to do a quarterly this winter, and you know, who knows why? But I think it's um, probably more Kelly than. Me not being lazy. Well, I did want to ask you the question <laughs> of like, you know, maybe you see other jobs that you think look fun, like that'd be fun to do. Yeah. But I, I did use the word jealous when I asked if you were ever jealous of a job. And I guess one of my questions is, if you look at a seasonal job that you might, that you're jealous of, like, I want that job, what is keeping you from doing that? Like, if you think being a boat captain would be more fun, why aren't you doing that? Or maybe you will. 
Okay, uh, that's a great question. Something I've been thinking about recently. I am not jealous of boat captains. I, well, okay, up here. I, I should say up here because you're going sport fishing and I can't stand fishing. <coughs> um, but let's let's use the float plane pilot. Um, I, you know, selling on the docks, I am around them more often. I see them every day flying, buzzing overhead. And I thought, I need to figure out what I need to do to become a float plane pilot. I had that thought. Because if it's not, uh, like you're asking, there's nothing stopping me. Why don't We've I do already that? realized that we can do whatever we want to do. Exactly. And if that is the job that I'm jealous of, I should try to do it. That's what I'm right getting to. Uh, so yeah, I've I've thought about that. I've uh, I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm I'm going to before the end of the summer. And if it's something that's possible, I'll probably do more with it in the winter. Um, I know it takes a lot. I'm I'm don't think it's easy or not time intensive. I know those guys are really really good at what they do because they've put the hours in and the hard work. So I'm, I'm not trying to say it's going to be easy, but yeah, it's something I'm going to look into. Right. It is something that if you wanted to say, go get at least the ball rolling on it, you could get your solo license by the end of say the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, say if it was a priority, right. If I was pushing for it every day of the week. Right. Yeah. And we, we, it's funny. I was telling somebody this the other day that, you know, our entire lives, teachers and our parents, um, from day dot, tell you that you can be anything you want to be. And when you're a child and you're four or five, six, they really mean it. They're really trying to make you think big. But it seems so funny that the, once you get to that 13, 14, 15-year-old range, you get into high school, you have guidance counselors, all of a sudden you realize that they don't mean it when they say you can be anything. Yeah, They don't want you to even think about being anything. It's a lot of talk about hedging your bets. Right. Now, well, uh, you could be anything, but maybe we should be a little, uh, we could be anything as long as we're being realistic here right. is uh, more what they mean. And I think one of the biggest things I realized when I did move to Alaska and I got that Zodiac job that you talked about, all of a sudden I'm driving boats on the ocean, like a dirt bike on the ocean for a living. I had those daily, how am I doing this for a living? And I would, I would laugh out loud to myself that this was life because I no one told me that it was that job is not in the government's, uh, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs. You know, it's not in your family's even radar of what you could possibly do. Right. And, and I remember seeing that. I, the reason I asked the question is because I remember seeing that those boats out there on the water flying around. And it was actually Steve Locklear who said, why don't you go do that job? That looks like the most fun job on the island. And I looked out there and I said, that. Definitely looks like the most fun job on the island. I'm hearing it from my boss. Right. <laughs> Steve's the man. Steve is the man. I was, <laughs> you know, making signs for him or whatever. And he's like, dude, I'd be doing that if I were you. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Go do that. So, uh, yeah, that was that was probably the best advice I ever got was that looks like the f most fun job on the island. Why aren't you doing that? And I feel like we've yeah. we've, we tackle that when we go elsewhere. Yeah. And I think... Now that you bring that up, that's that's a great question because I don't think I've been thinking about that enough. Is yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna look into that. But also, you know, the the there's the possibility that this isn't where that job I'm super jealous of is. So sure. this winter I'll probably look at that as well. Um, now, if anybody's made it this far into the interview, uh, they probably like us, and 
I'm going to... At least they did. Huh? At least they did. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Maybe they like this and no, they don't. But um, I do want to let you pitch this a little bit. If um, if you're listening to this podcast, the what is the best way that someone could support what we're doing right now? Uh, okay, so real talk. Hashtag. Hashtag real talk. Hashtag blessed. We need to get to 100 reviews. Written reviews. Written reviews on the iTunes podcast app to get on there new and noteworthy. I don't know if I'm allowed to request people to review it but if you like it please oh no i am i hear podcasts do this all the time yeah yeah if you like it please write a review right now because that is how we are going to get seen by a lot more people how we're going to get our message out there and if you even think that i might be right wanting to get it out there i think that's something that we should do and so please write a review right now and uh other than that, though, I mean, keep following along what we're doing. If you like our shirts, buy a shirt. If you like our stickers, buy a sticker. But you don't even, we don't need money. Right. We're not asking for money. We're asking for one written review. One written review and also just keep paying attention to us. Watch what we do. Tell your friends about it. Get them the right reviews. And, <laughs> and yeah, that's, I mean. Take their iPhones. Take them out of their pockets. Unlock them. Download the podcast app. Download the Seasonals podcast. Write a review. Yeah. That's those are easy step by step instructions. This is the seasonal podcast primer right now. Step by step instructions. Yeah. So what I what I'm asking is if you like what we're doing, be a true fan. Be write a review and keep paying attention. Keep following along. If you like it, stick with it and help us out however you want to. Hey, and is there um any question and I've I felt like I would end with this one. Uh, any questions I needed to ask you that I didn't? Oh, uh, man, I probably should have been ready for that, right? <laughs> I feel like you've literally asked uh, this question in every one of your interviews I've ever heard you do for the Seasonals Magazine interviews. Yeah, yeah and here I am uh, dropping the You're ball. You're allowed not to know the answer to that one. Yeah. I did well, a pretty good nobody job. Nobody else did. So. Uh, yeah, you did a great job. You asked me <laughs> a lot of questions that I <laughs> I really liked um what's a question that you didn't ask that you should okay the question that you should ask that you haven't is what do you have to say or what do you want to tell people about the idea of the convention of the idea of travel in the eyes of americans and or at least our peers people that were around a lot and that is that they get four weeks of vacation a year and they usually use it on going to some ocean beach that's six hours away from them or 12 or whatever and spending a lot of money on at chain restaurants that's vacation i want that i mean this is it's such it's a such a no-brainer to me to change that because if you spend if you spend $1000 on that trip which is way less than what people i see doing it spend on that trip if you take that same $1000 that same week of time get on a plane go to another country it is it's so different it's so much better and you it's you it's less money than, than the myrtle beach thing or wh- whatever beach 
and it's so much rewarding. You get yourself out there. And when I was young... But I like the beach, Joey. Okay. Um, go to a beach in another country. Who's the... Mark Twain. Mark Twain has some incredible quotes about traveling and how it is. it kills any prejudice, any backwards thinking, anything like that. And we desperately need that as, as a people. And so that's, that's one reason I would say travel. But what I was going to say, when I was younger, I read uh, an essay by Isaac Asimov and it was, it was, it was in high school. It was about how the, he was imploring people to stay curious, stay curious about everything around them, but especially science. And he went on to say why he thought this. And it was because, you know, the one great example is you're at a party, people are talking, and for the most part, they're talking about other people or other things around them. If you're curious about science, you have things to talk about and things to say and interesting things to think about that normal people don't. And that affected me pretty deeply. I started to think about people as two-dimensional and three-dimensional. So if you have a pop-up book, you have some of the drawings are on the page and some of them pop out at you. And take the nearest kid and read a pop-up book with them and see what they pay attention to and what's interesting to them and what excites them. It's what's popping out of the page. You want to be the person that pops out of the page Everyone can be. You just have to be curious about the world around you so that you have something to talk about. You are an interesting person to talk to, and there's a reason to be around you to better the people around you. It's, I think sports in this country are killing me and everyone. I think a lot of the day-to-day stuff that we do... and this is we're getting to the cynical side. Two guys Joey. that <laughs> love sports, right? I I love sports, but man, I it's all, all I can. Ta- it's com- all you can talk about it's in Ohio. All you can talk about with so many people. It, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about. Uh, it's also one way to avoid talking about politics, though. Absolutely, which I totally understand is tough to talk about right now. And I'm not going to say I'm not going to push that we should talk about it more. It'll take care of itself if you vote. Uh, but I, I just, I want people to, when these companies are so good at marketing and they want you to look over here, look over here, look over here. Don't look at what you're interested in or what would help you get better as a person. Look at these colors and these numbers and these uniforms or Mm -hmm. the Kylie Jenner's new, line of beauty products or this new song from some awful artist that isn't going to matter in 10 years or this TV show. God, people are so into TV. It's insane. I just scroll through my Facebook and it's like, I'm watching the bachelor. I'm watching the hockey game tonight. I'm doing all this stuff. And it's, I love these people and I cannot have a conversation with them outside of these realms that they're in. And I just want, I just, I know they're smart and I know They could be, and they are amazing people, but just be curious about the world around you and learn about things you don't know about. Have an open mind and just keep being curious. Right. Don't let it die, please. The last bark. I think Ketchikan uniquely 
Ketchikan, Alaska, and I found this to be true. Maybe I'm sure it exists other places, but Ketchikan, Alaska seems to be uniquely qualified for um, having conversations beyond what you're going to find at a strip mall bar in Ohio. Uh, my last bar conversation over a picture was about the 2012 humpback whales survey about the North Pacific population of the humpback whales and having an in-depth debate on whether uh, the NOAA predictions on uh, humpback whale population increase were pre-whaling numbers or not. And, uh, yeah, you're not going to have that conversation anywhere else. I yeah. often use the analogy that you can take a master's class over a beer in Ketchikan if you ask the right person the right question. Absolutely. Um, and I also wanted to ask you... Just uh, I, when that was, uh, I really liked what you said there about Isaac Asimov. Uh, I think one of my favorite explanations I've ever heard you say is uh, involves uh, the Crayola crayon box, yeah. and um, let's end with that. Okay, I it's wonderful that we're ending with this uh, because my friend Andrew wanted me to name drop him so bad, and this is a great time to do it because I was having a, a conversation with my friend Andrew, and he told me, um, I forget exactly how it came about, but basically he was telling me I don't really like to travel. And I get it. I, some people just don't. That's fine. Um, but I was explaining to him why I do or why I've chosen the lifestyle that I have. And when you, uh, when you start life, when you have a family and then you go to school, you're in high school, you are meeting a certain group of people. And that is like the eight pack, the Crayola crayons eight pack. You know, you get the blue, the red, the green, the yellow, the, all that. Um, when you go to college, you get, you're going to meet some people that are very different from you, very different from you. And that's when you get up to the 16 pack and you start to see these traits that you never could have guessed would be a person would have. And so you're seeing these colors of crayons that you start to color life with. And it's, it's more diverse. It's more vivid. The picture is becoming more, uh, beautiful to look at. And then you get out in the world and if depending on your choice, you either move up in that size of crayons or you stay at the 16 or, you know, maybe you find a few with some work buddies or, you know, playing in a soccer league, you meet a guy that's just crazy and you're like, Oh, okay, well that's a thing that people can be too, you know? But what I've found, uh, through travel and especially through seasonal work, staying, staying in a place like Thailand for, uh, two months and getting on a soccer team there and meeting these, uh, these different, um, individuals, you get up to a point where, you know, you've got the 24 pack, you're seeing some really, some, some different mixtures of traits, not just individual traits anymore. You're seeing traits that you knew existed and traits that you didn't mixing in ways that create this other effect in a person in a way they act. And you keep going and you get up, to, you get up to the 64 pack with the sharpener in the back and you meet the golds and the silvers and the people like, you know, Mary Maley and Natasha that just uh, totally change your life just for meeting them. And that is, 
even if you don't like traveling, I think that is a, a goal that is something that I think everyone would want to strive for if they knew it existed. And so that, that's, I think that's what you're talking about. The, the Crayola yeah, thing. That was it. <laughs> All right. But well. that, that's, that's, um, the best way I've come about to explain why I travel and why I think everybody should travel. Good, man. All right. Joey Rominski, thank you very much. Thank you, buddy. You did a phenomenal job. As I, I knew know. You would. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Rovinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.